Once I was waiting, waiting for Steve to say, sometimes you get sick and you go home to heaven. <laughs> well. That's the only one you left out was that one. Well, that's all right. We don't want that to happen yet tonight. Well, no. But if it is, then that's okay. Although I don't have, I don't have my shingle shots. <laughs> when it rains, I get wet. Uh-huh. There you go. Psalm 57. Psalm 57 tonight, folks, and we're moving on. I was going to ask Carrie tonight. She remembers how, how long ago we started. You, you probably have notes from Psalm 1 all the way through, don't you? Um, yes, I do. But I have to check my oven. Oh, okay. Whew. Anyway, Psalm 57. We're going to finish this thing up. And the Lord willing, we'll be moving into Psalm 58 if the rapture doesn't occur first. And uh, I don't die first. Then uh, Stephen will have to finish up Psalm 58. I'm going to start with Psalm 58. But anyway, the topic that we've been looking at is um, when you feel trapped, what do you do? How do you handle it when you find yourself in a set of circumstances where, boy, you know, you just don't know how to get out of it? Uh, it may be you've, that you've uh, felt trapped into a, a marriage. Uh, maybe you feel trapped in a job, trapped in uh, a health issue. Just any number of things that you could really feel like there just seems to be that there is no way out. So what do you do? And so David has been looking back as he wrote Psalm 57 uh, from uh, 1 Kings chapter 23, 24, and that's somewhere in that area. Anyway, and it's about when David was in the uh, wilderness of En Gedi. And I was thinking as we're going back over this here that uh, Peg and I had been there into En Gedi in the wilderness and looking uh, where David might have been in those areas here. And uh, there's just one small stream, but there must be a big reservoir back in the rock somewhere because what happens with all the sandstone, they eventually bore out big holes, and when it does rain, all that water is stored in there, and it's nice, cool, cold water that comes out of this one particular little waterfalls. And it really wasn't a, a big waterfalls, maybe half the size of this room with a little stream that came out of there, and everybody who, it was a hot day that we were over there. And so everybody wandering around, some was sitting in the, enjoying that cold water over there. But you could look up and you could see caves up into the sandstone up there. So I'm not sure if one of those caves might have been one that uh, David himself was in with the men and that uh, Saul, but it might have been a little closer because I looked at that and as old as Saul was, I from things think, thinking to myself, oh, no way that guy's going to climb up there. I know I wasn't going to climb up there. And uh, so uh, it was the same thing down in, in, when you went down into this, the uh, Petra. Uh, go down into Petra and you walk down through this long, long, long canyon and it also it opens up and then you look up in the hills and there's all kinds of caves up there. In fact, we were up on um, the Mount of Olives and where uh, they believe it was one of the places that the Lord would have retreated to with the disciples the night that he was betrayed or oftentimes for prayer. And uh, there was a cave that was carved into the sandstone up there as well, and that's where a lot of the times, during the daytime, they would stay in those where it's nice and cool, and at nighttime they'd come out and be on top uh, of, the, of the caves that were in there. And they were pretty good-sized caves when you go in there, but this one had to be a, a, a really special cave because the Bible says that David went in with his men further because Saul came in. Now, I don't know, no, it doesn't say that Saul went very deep into the cave, but Saul had gone in there. And remember, if you're reading in, in 1 Kings chapters 23 and 24, that is when uh, when uh, David's men encouraged him to do what? Anybody remember? Well, they, they, hey, 
God has put him in here so you can take care of him and you can take over the throne. So Psalm 57 is about David's reflection uh, on the historical incident that took place uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 24. And in, in the cave you have David and a few men that are deeper inside the cave. Saul doesn't know that they're there. Uh, and so he enters into the cave to take care of some personal business. Now outside is a contingency of soldiers that are loyal to King Saul. And they know David's down there somewhere. They just don't know exactly where he is. Now God knew where David was and God wanted to bring David and Saul at least in the same proximity to test and see what David would do. I believe it was more than anything else. It was a test of David. Would he, would he wait on the Lord? Sometimes waiting on the Lord is not easy. But remember, David had been anointed so much earlier. And he had served King Saul faithfully. But it came to a time in, in, uh, in David, uh, David's life where the people began to sing, David has killed his tens of thousands and Saul has killed his thousands. And Saul became very jealous. Uh, so he, 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 I'm not going to say he was bipolar. He might have been, I don't know. But anyway, he had, he had, some, he had some jealousy issues. And uh, I believe that there's no doubt that Saul knew that uh, God had chosen David to take over the throne after Saul. And Saul wanted to make sure it was his son Jonathan was going on there. So he had to eliminate David somehow. And so he spent uh, a number of years, about uh, 10 years or more, chasing David all over all over the nation of Israel, trying to, trying to kill him, for sure. So, now, as I said, I, I have no problem that God orchestrated this situation to test David's trust in God uh, and the wisdom of David. Uh, on the one side, you have Saul, who is bent on seeing to it uh, that David never gets to the throne. And on the other hand, you've got David's men uh, who want King Saul out of the way. I mean, David's been on the run. He hasn't been able to go home. He's actually put his parents, his family is in hiding so that Saul can't get to them and use them as pawns to bring David in. And so he put them, they're in, uh, what do you call it, uh, what do they call the program today? When they, hmm? yeah, you know what they do, they put them in hiding. Okay, I have all these answers. Somebody give me one, please. <laughs> Witness protection. So uh, he, he put them in that kind of protection so, so nobody could find them and, and use them uh, ill-gottenly and uh, so on there. So, I mean, they, uh, with David's 600 men or so, they haven't gone home. They haven't been home. Maybe occasionally sneak at home a little bit. Uh, so, I mean, they've been on the run, sleeping under the stars, sleeping in the cave, sleeping wherever they can get a, a place to sleep for the nighttime and foraging for the food through the wilderness and taking what they can get along the way. And uh, so they're thinking, hey, the king is here. We can take care of him. God has put him here for a reason. Well, they didn't see it the way David saw it. And I believe that David could have, because I'm sure he must have felt awful trapped. Because it seemed like everywhere he turned, that someone was saying, well, David's here, and David's here, and David's over here, and you can go here and get David. And so uh, the men wanted to be able to go home and go home in peace. David would like to have also gone home uh, in peace. But as long as Saul was on the throne, that couldn't happen. So we find that God will place us in situations and in circumstances to test us as to our trust in him and for us to uh, draw down on the knowledge and the wisdom of our spiritual growth. And that's why it's so important for us to be in the Word of God on a regular basis. It's so important for us to study. Remember 2 Timothy 2.15 and never forget it. It ought to be indelibly imprinted on our minds. Uh, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Remember the word study is what? It's in the imperative. And if something's in the imperative, what does it mean? God said it's very important. It's actually vital to the Christian. If you're not reading and studying and meditating in the Word of God, if you're not gleaning from the Word of God, then you're not learning. 
And when you find yourself in adversity, and adversity is going to come because we live in a fallen world, and just because we have gotten saved does not mean that we get to get a, get a, 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 a out-of-jail-free card now, this is not a monopoly game. Uh, we also will deal with cancer. We will also deal with various uh, diseases along the way and have to deal with uh, uh, some very difficult uh, situations in our lives, for sure. Uh, how do you handle them? Well, I get calls from people who say, Pastor, I, I got a mess in my hand. I don't know what to do. And so they're counting on me to have studied the Word of God so I can come to them and show them what the Word of God has to say. And it would be so much nicer. And it's so much more pleasant if we as individuals would be able to look to the Word of God and say, I'm going through a very difficult time here, and get along with the Lord, get along with the Scriptures, and find out the direction that God wants us to go. Amen? We can say Wednesday, on Wednesday nights, we can say amen. 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 Not just on Sunday morning. So anyway, I believe that God does place us in situations because those are the times when we grow the most. That's when our growth is the most important and it also the lessons that stay with us the longest. So David knew and he had learned that in this life it isn't always a matter of how we view right or wrong uh, uh, actions or activity or how we endeavor to justify any actions that we may take contemplating, uh, contemplating wisdom says that there are some things in life best left to God to take care of. And that's how the position that David took. David said... Saul was anointed, God is going to have to take care of Saul. And God did take care of Saul, and he made sure that his son Jonathan wasn't going to ascend to the throne either. So some of the steps that we suggested also already in Psalm 57 very quickly to date is that, number one, realize that in this life we deserve worse than we, ex- than, than we are experiencing. Sometimes we think well, we're at the end of our rope. We think we're at the end of the world, amen? I mean, it looks like if you could just step off the planet, you'd love to do that just to get away from all your problems and all your trials. Well, the truth of the matter is, uh, God doesn't owe us anything. Amen? I mean, what does God owe us? Now, he's made promises. He'll keep those promises. But he didn't promise me I was going to live to be 100. And he didn't promise me that the 100 years, if he was going to give me 100 years, were going to be an easy 100 years. Some preachers have, have I mean, they have, they have some heartbreak ministries. We feel, my wife and I feel very blessed that we have not had heartbreak ministries here at Calvary. Not because I don't deserve them. But God's just been very gracious. Maybe he knows I'd fall apart if I did. I don't know. I hope not <laughs> along the way. But, but the reality is this, that uh, we, God doesn't owe us a thing. So whatever we have, according to the grace of God, we should be extra, extra thankful for. So and we found that in, in 57 verse 1. He said, Be merciful unto me, O God. Be merciful unto me, for my soul trusteth in thee. Yea, in the shadow of my wings will I make my refuge until these calamities be overpassed. So he's in, the, he's in the cave. Saul's after him. There's a legion of soldiers outside there, so to speak, there. David with a few men inside there. He doesn't stand a chance. There's no way he could kill Saul and walk out and say, Hey, guess what? I just killed the king. Uh, they would have filled him with all kinds of arrows and spears or whatever else would have happened, I'm sure. And so the second thing that we looked at too was realize that our circumstances change, but God never does. God always remains the same. In verse 2, he says, I will cry unto God most high, unto God that performeth all things for me. So God does things for us. And many times, if we're not in the word of God, we don't realize the things that God's done for us. Or if we're not praying about them. You know, praying in generalities is really a waste of time. God bless mommy, God bless daddy, God bless so-and-so. You know, you're going to be specific in these particular areas when you're talking to God. Not that God doesn't know the specifics. But if we don't, then we're not always cognizant or aware of the fact that God is answering our prayers. When we are specific, and we don't have to be really super detailed, uh, but uh, we can be preparing for some folk here tonight. Uh, 
uh, uh, Roger McLaughlin, 80-year-old man, fell down, broke his femur. So we'll be praying for him on our prayer, prayer time here tonight as well. And so that's important for us to pray for all these people. And many of them don't even know we're praying for them, but we're praying for them anyway. But so recognize, uh, realize that, uh, that the circumstances change, and they will always change. And I, I'm, I, I'm under this impression that from the scriptures is that we should never ask God to shorten our, our, our circumstances. Lord, get me out of this mess. I can't stand it another. Listen, if you trust God, God can take you from the beginning to the end. But in that, in that whole, I kind of almost like it to, in, in the, if you're familiar with World War I, World War I in Europe, they spent a lot of time trench fighting. That means they spent a lot of time in their trenches and they'd pop their heads up once in a while and fire a few shots here or there and they'd try to take a field and uh, the enemy was on the other side. They were in their trenches as well. And uh, they could have said, you know what, let's just hang, hunker down here in these trenches until the war's over. <laughs> uh, it doesn't work that way. But as we go and we, as we progress through the, through the circumstances, we're learning something new and, and wonderful about God every step of the way. If we ask God to get us out of this mess immediately because we can't handle it anymore, we're going to miss out on a lot of things that God wants us to learn, things that God wants to teach us along the way. So be very careful about praying for God to get you out of your circumstances here, uh, even if you make them yourself, rather than God allowing them. So number three, very quickly, realize that it, it is a waste of time for solutions, looking for, looking for solutions in the wrong places. You know, young people will tend to always go to their, to their fellow young people and looking for advice. They won't go to someone who is older. Uh, I'm trying to think, Jason, I can't think of Dr. House. May not have been him from out in Texas. Uh, he had, uh, when he did counseling, and he'd have ladies come in and, and counseling because he had his secretary right outside the door. And by the time they got in telling their, their woes, he was weeping right along. He was crying. He said, well, this is not getting anywhere. This is not working out very well. So they had a very mature senior lady in the, in the, uh, in the congregation. And so he talked with her about counseling with some of these younger ladies. Well, they'd come to him and say, listen, I'm going to set you up a, a, a meeting with Sister Ann, and, and she'll talk with you. She's a very godly woman, and she knows exactly what to say. They went to her once, and they didn't want to go back again because she told them what it was like. This is what you need to do. This is what the Bible says that you need to do. And they would rather have someone sit on the other desk just to listen and cry with them rather than have actually someone say, this is what you need to do to straighten the circumstance and situation out. And so we have to realize that uh, the best place to go first and foremost is where? On the knees to the Lord. Then get up, get in the Word. And if you need some additional help along the way, you can call the pastor or someone else that you know who has a very close and a powerful walk with the Lord. And... Look for answers, not for sympathy, not for empathy. Look for real answers along the way. So fourthly, we looked at uh, last week was that realize it is wiser at times to avoid battles. There was a pastor that came to the area back in the 80s. This is before your dad was up here with us. I don't know if you remember Rocky Shank. Well, he came out of Midwest, Midwestern Baptist under Dr. Tom Malone. And he came out here and he was going to start a church in, in, in Burlington. He was with us about three years. And he finally just, everything just blew up in his face. Everything just was horrible. And so uh, Dr. Blue from out in Ohio, uh, Indiana, in Indiana, and another one fellow from up in, uh, up in Alaska, they, they, took him under their, they took him under their arm. 
And he, and he told him, he said, I have never seen anybody burn their bridges in front of them or behind them at the same time. <laughs> and that's exactly what he had done. And they said, when we tell you to jump, you jump. When we tell you to come down, you come down. Uh, last I knew he was in Delaware and he was pastoring a church down there, but he, he sat under some mature mentors along the way and it was important for him to do that. But, you know, you have to be really careful about where you look. Even as Christians, you, you have maybe having some emotional issues. God can handle emotional issues. Amen? God can handle these things. And the Word of God is full of We're going to see some of that this, this weekend with uh, anxiety. The topic on our successful Christian life is going to be how, how do we handle anxiety? What causes it? Where does it come from? What do we do with it when we have it? What is, and what is biblical? And we'll give you some solutions for that as well. But uh, realize it's wiser at times to avoid battles. And then very quickly here tonight, uh, the fifth one, realize the necessity of getting our hearts right as possible and as quickly as possible. In verse 7, uh, 57, the Bible says there, my heart is fixed. Now, isn't that wonderful? My heart is Now, I understand that that means it's, it's fixated. It might be a word we use more common today here. But God is a heart fixer. Amen. Uh, through counsel of the Word of God and the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit of God, God can fix broken hearts. God can fix hearts of, of dealing with all kinds of uh, all kinds of issues. Now, sometimes medication is necessary. I understand that because there are there are organic problems that exist in people's lives, but I don't believe that's the majority of the time. Many times it's because God doesn't see things the way we want to see them, and we have we have got to come to, as, as Christians and see life from God's perspective, which is the biblical perspective on all of life. So. Uh, my heart is fixed. That means not nearly as many believers can make such a claim as to David. My heart is fixed. I'm going to trust God. I know that God's going to come through. I know that God's going to provide. I know that God's got an answer here somewhere. And I'm going to be patient and I'm going to wait on the Lord. So there is no need for the redeemed of the Lord to be all over the, all over the board, wishy-washy, let alone fickle. And there's a lot of Christians out there are fickle. I mean, they jump from one church to the next church, from one denomination to another denomination, from one thing to another. So God has marvelously given us the indwelling Holy Spirit of God. Amen? I mean, they didn't have that in the Old Testament, but we've got it in the New Testament. And the New Testament day, the, the, the moment, the day that you and I get saved, the Holy Spirit is right there. Lock, stock, and barrel. See, the difference is that he doesn't all have as much of us as we have of him. We get all the Holy Spirit we're ever going to get. The question is, are we going to give him access to all of us, all of my person? Or am I going to hold some things back? Well, it would be like uh, someone getting saved and saying, well, I thank you for leading me to the Lord, and I'm glad that the Lord has saved me today here. I'm not going to give up this. I'm not going to give up this. I'm not going to, give I'm not going to surrender this. And there are still Christians, 5, 10, 15, 20 years uh, saved in their lives, and they haven't really given up certain things that are holding them back from actual spiritual maturity. And that's a lot of times what we're really, really dealing with as preachers and teachers from the pulpit and evangelists as well is the, the unwillingness of people to surrender certain areas of their lives so that they can, uh, the Holy Spirit can invade those areas there and, and there'll be spiritual growth and use of the Lord there for sure. And so God has, has marvelously given us the Holy Spirit and his infallibly preserved word. So why is this so important? Well, first to impart to us his wisdom and his knowledge. Where are you going to get wisdom and knowledge from? Folks, you can go out here and sit in any one of these stone walls out in the fields out there and meditate out there and watch the butterflies and the birds tweet and do whatever they do out that way. Uh, where are you going to get the wisdom of God from? Oh, you can say, I, God is marvelous. He's, look, the things he's created, he is wonderful. But where the rubber meets the road is in the word of God. This is where God has solutions. This is where God has answers. This is where God has directions. It's all right here in the book. And so 
First to impart to us his wisdom and his knowledge, but to also stabilize us in the faith. There's no reason why I should not be able to go from one church to another church and have, and have someone preach and, have, and say amen. I, I agree with that because it's the word of God. But that's not the way it is. I mean, you've got people who are, who are perverting the word of God. You've got people who are not preaching the word of God. It's more of a social message than it is a, a, a spiritual message of, of growth and challenge for sure. But when we find ourselves trapped in circumstances in this life, be it financial, be it health, be it marriage, be it jobs, etc., you may be innocently caught up in a problem, but know that God has a purpose for any time we go through something. We might have this attitude, as you heard me say so often, Lord, this is not a good time. Lord, this is not, you know, why, Lord? Why me? I do not believe that Christians ought to ever have that vocabulary when they find themselves in adversity. Why me, Lord? The question should be what? Why not me? Why should Paul have had to have gone through what he went through? Or John, Matthew, and Mark, why should they have had to have gone through what they went through? Jeremiah did what? I mean, God told him it was going to be a fruitless ministry. And Jeremiah came to a point in his life where he finally just said, I'm done. All I've done is preach, 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 preach. I've done everything you told me to do, Lord, and all it gets me is in dungeons and jails, and I get slapped and beaten and, and slapped at and scorned at, and now I'm down in this mucky, murky dungeon down here, and I'm not doing it anymore! <laughs> but what does he say? And he said, and yet the word burned. It burned in his bones. It burned in his heart. And he said, uh, and he said there's no way I can stop. I've got to do what God's called me to do. And that's the kind of relationship that we should have with God. Amen? So, when we find ourselves believing oftentimes that we may be instantly caught up that God has a lesson for us, our prayer should be, Lord, open mine eyes that I may see. As the song goes, glimpses of truth thou hast for me. I want to see what it is you want me to see so I can either embolden or correct some things in my life that need to be corrected along the way. So perhaps you and I are the author of our circumstances in which we can also learn valuable lessons in our life as well. Certainly what not to do. What, what choice we ought not to be making. So whichever of the two, the response should be the same. Number one, David took the time to think and to seek godly wisdom before he acted rashly and made matters worse. When we get ahead of God, usually things do not turn out very well. Secondly, David wanted to make sure that when everything was done and said that he was going to be a better man for what God was bringing into his life and what God was putting him through. He wanted to become a better man. And then fourthly, getting back to normalcy would be great. And if we hope to do so, we have to trust God to lead us. Otherwise, we can make life more miserable because of our actions that we feel trapped in and we take matters into our own hands. God knows some things that we don't know. And therefore, we have to just learn to trust God. And who knows who's watching us? You don't know who's watching you. It could be an unsavely, unsaved family member. Maybe it's an unsaved neighbor that you've, that you've witnessed to. Maybe it's an unsaved work, person in the workplace that you've witnessed to. And they know what you're going through. And yet everybody's excited about being a child of God. Your faith hasn't wavered. Uh, I, listen, I've dealt with people in the ministry over the number of years who have had some terrible, painful cancer situation. I mean, they were in pain. But their faith never wavered. 
They would cry out to God, but their faith never wavered. They trusted in God that, that what they were going through, God was guiding, God had a purpose for it in their lives. And listen, I was able to preach a funeral here, and I, and I knew that where some of the kids were. The kids weren't living for the Lord. They weren't walking for the Lord. And, and there were some workers that had known Bob for many, many, many years. And I said, listen, you know, you can almost question any Christian's faith on the mountaintop. I mean, it's a zippy-dee-doo-dah, bluebird on my shoulder kind of a day. We're on the mountaintop there. The sun's shining. The flowers are beautiful. The aroma's out that way. Everything is just wonderful, 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 wonderful. And then you get down in the valley. And we mumble. And we grumble. And we carry, and we carry on. And people say, yep, well, that wasn't very long, was it? Uh, but we should be the same in the valley as we are on the mountaintop when it comes to our relationship with the Lord. Because that is where faith really matters when people are observing and watching. And so as active as God is in such times, Satan is also active. He's the one who says, question God. He got Adam and Eve to question God. He'd had quite a few people down throughout human history that he's got to question God in the process. So as active as, as, as God is, Satan is also active. And he knows if we handle these, these times or of feeling trapped in the flesh, it only makes matters worse because he's going to put his oars in the water. And so when our hearts, as we close, when our hearts are right with God, we're in a better place which God's, uh, with, with God's presence is, is known very quickly. It is sense. We know it. So verses 8 through 11, see how David, in looking back and writing Psalm 57, how he rejoices for his patience in waiting. He's thinking to himself, man, am I glad that I waited and I trusted God. Because he says, awake up my glory, awake softly in heart. I myself will awake early, and I will praise thee, O Lord, among the people. I will sing unto these among the nations. For thy mercy is great unto the heavens, and thy truth unto the clouds. Now, he would never have known this if he hadn't really trusted God and gone through the paces. You see, there's some things that you and I can never learn about God or glean from God, or glean from his word, unless we go through certain things in our lives. Amen? He says in verse 11, Be thou exalted, O God, above, all, above the heavens. Let thy glory be above all the earth. And that's what he did in that cave when he told his men, Nope, I'm not putting a hand on God's anointed. And he didn't. And I know that he looked back. Am I glad I didn't do that? Amen? So that's the last of when you feel trapped. Hope you learned something from it.